Okay, this is a preview episode for Dazed and Confused 33 and a Third, in which we'll explore the film one song at a time for 33 weeks with a new cool guest every week. For this preview, I spoke with the author of the book that inspired me to do the podcast, and we talked about the central question which motivated her to do the book and some of the surprising things she learned while researching it and which character from Dazed and Confused she relates to the most. So let's check it out. Welcome to Days and Confused 33 and a Third. I'm Jarf, and I am here with entertainment journalist and author of All Right, All Right, All Right, an oral history of Richard Linklater's Days and Confused, Melissa Mayers. Welcome, Melissa. Thank you so much for having me. It's good to be here. We are thrilled that you could join us. And I wanted to start right off the bat by talking about this amazing book. So please, Tell us about your book and what inspired you to write it. Yeah, so um, it's an oral history of Dazed and Confused, as you said. And, um, you know, I've obviously been a huge fan of the movie forever. I saw it in the theater when I was going into my first year of high school. So I was pretty much the exact age to love this movie. (laughs) But I think the thing that made me start thinking about writing a longer book about it is that I'd read an interview with Richard Linklater where he said that he originally wanted the movie to be an anti-nostalgia movie, a movie that showed that the past was not as good as the present. And I thought, you know, that's so interesting. There is a scene in Dazed and Confused where a character says the 70s obviously suck. But I think that it's become the ultimate nostalgia movie for so many people because, you know, I know people who watch it over and over again because they're nostalgic for high school. I know people who watch it because they're nostalgic for the 1970s when it's set. And now I know people who watch it because they're nostalgic for the 90s. So I think the first question I had going into this was how did this anti-nostalgia movie become one of the biggest nostalgia movies of all time? I am fascinated by that disconnect as well. And I'll tell you that your book inspired me to create this podcast. Oh, that's great. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And and it was really, I've always been a fan of Dazed and Confused, like yourself. But it was reading what you said about that dichotomy that made me want to take a closer look. So what was something that you learned while you were working on the book that really surprised you? Well, I think I knew that um, Dazed and Confused was loosely based on Linklater's own experience growing up in Texas, but I had no idea how specific it was to his experience. Um, he spent most of his um, adolescence in a town called Huntsville, a small town in Texas. A lot of people that he went to school with have the same names as characters in the movie. Um, a lot of them remember very specific things from the movie um, happening to them. There was a real, um, it wasn't called a moon tower party, but they had a fire tower. They'd have parties around the fire tower. That was real. The hazing was real. The paddling with the wooden paddles was something that actually happened at their school. The girls getting covered in um, mustard and ketchup in the parking lot was something um, that happened to girls at Linklater's school. There's just so many specific things. I mean, right down to the fact that, um, you know, there's the scene where they're all smoking weed in Pickford 
Pickford's room and everything that's in Pickford's room, the posters, the egg chair, there's like an ice pick in the door frame so that his parents can't come out through the door and see them smoking weed. All of those things were details that were real details in Linklater's friend's rooms. So I think I was really surprised at um, how specific the details were from his own life. When you were starting to say that, I was thinking of the ice pick. Yes. It's, it's just like such a specific detail. And that's part of what gives the movie such a fantastic texture, I think, throughout. Because there's some things that you just can't make up. Yeah. You have to actually pull from someone's experience. Well, and what's even more wild to me is, um, you know, the journalist Stephen Hyden says in my book, the more specific it gets, the more universal it feels. Like, I've had so many people tell me that the conversation um, that Slater has in the woods about um, George Washington smoking weed was a conversation that they had in high school. (laughs) I mean, that's super specific. And lots of people remember that. I had one person tell me that he did a report on that for his history class. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. So I think that's part of the genius of Richard Linklater is that he knows that these things will, he trusts that these things will resonate with people, even though they are very specific. Reading quotes from him, it almost seemed like he was more concerned with making authentic than making it universally resonant. Yes. He just wanted to get those details, like the way that he really fought for the little leaguers or the junior high baseball teams to say good game yes. after the game. Yes, and I think I think he's so smart to to do that, you know, because, um, you know, I talk about in the book how there was a big fight between him and the producer, Jim Jacks, over that scene. Jim Jacks felt like they didn't have enough time to shoot it on the day they were shooting it, and he really wanted to cut it out. And Linklater just knew that that was going to be essential to this. Like, I mean, I'm not even somebody who played sports when I was older. I played sports only when I was in elementary school. And when I saw that, it really brought back this visceral memory of, you know, being on a soccer team and having to do that good game pass. <laughs> so I think it's a really important scene in the movie. And I think I think he knows that. I think he knew with Days that he was making a very personal film that people might relate to. Well, speaking of relating to, one of the questions that I plan to ask all my guests mm-hmm. and I'd like to ask you is what character is the most or the least like who you were when you were growing up. Yeah. And what do you like about that or what do you hate about that? (laughs) It's a good question. I mean, there's so many good characters, but um, I think I was probably a lot like Tony, um, who's Anthony Rapp's character, the blonde guy with the glasses for um, people who don't remember his name. You know, I was pretty nerdy, but also invited to the party, although sometimes like wasn't really sure how I got invited to the party. <laughs> kind of the way that Tony ends up at the Moon Tower at the end, even though he's probably not cool enough to be there. Um, and I think like the conversations that he has with Adam Goldberg and Marisa Rubisi in the car just feel really familiar to me of the types of conversations that I had in high school, just driving around, talking about music and politics and, um, you know, having these kind of like really self-serious conversations that I probably look back on now and think were really funny. So I, I think probably Tony um, is the one I relate to the most and the least. I mean, I, I think probably I was definitely not a bully. <laughs> I look at O'Bannon and Benny and I think, you know, I, I was probably more the person who got brutalized than the person who did the brutalizing. 
although nothing ever that close to terrible happened to me. I was never, you know, paddled or anything like that. But yeah, I think I probably relate to him the least. Although it's interesting with that character, you know, I used to really hate that character when I watched the movie when I was younger. And now I really see that character as kind of a sad person. You know, it's kind of, he's kind of like a kid bully in a lot of ways. And you get the sense that his life probably didn't turn out that well after that. But I'm curious who you would say. Who do you relate to most and least? Well, I never felt this way when I was watching the movie in college. But now that I can look back with more hindsight on my high school years, in a lot of ways, it's pink. Yeah. Because I had a similar relationship to high school sports. I wasn't the quarterback by any means, but I did play my junior year and and I had that kind of social life where I was cool with the jocks. I was cool with the theater kids. I mostly hung out with the skaters who smoked in the bathroom before class started. But I was comfortable in all that, all those different circles, the way that pink is. And then I was having the same conflict about whether I wanted to continue playing football. I actually coincidentally just found a cringeworthy letter that I wrote as a, a college admissions letter. Oh, wow. Where I was talking about my decision to not go out for the football team my senior year so that I could get a part-time job so that I could get my first car. Wow. 1976 Buick Skylark. Yes. The Brown Hornet. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Cool. (laughs) And and so it's pink for me as the most. And then I would be the same as you in choosing O'Banion slash Parker Posey as the least like me because I really just don't have a mean bone in my body. So the the whole idea of bullying people for fun, because those are the two ringleaders. And it's, it's so embedded in the culture of that high school. All the seniors do it, but you can really see the ones that are just going along with it and the ones that are really into it. And so it's the way that they are just really relishing it that I relate to the least. Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting what you say about Pink, because I feel like a lot of people really relate to that feeling of him being free floating with all of these different social groups. And that to me, when I first saw this was a kind of revolutionary thing for a teen movie. You know, we're just coming out of the John Hughes era. And it felt like so many characters in the John Hughes era were just one thing, you know, you were either the jock, or you were the stoner, or you were the nerd, and there was no blurring of the lines. So I remember when I first saw pink, I was like, oh, that feels real to me, somebody who floats between those scenes. But I don't think I'd ever seen that in a movie before. Yeah, same, same. And and I really appreciate that because it feels more authentic. Yes. And it also creates interesting tension between the groups because yes, pink can float between those groups, but it doesn't mean those groups are cool with one another. Definitely. So you can see when he's with the jocks and they'll say things like, you know, that crew that you hang out with, they don't even care if we win or lose. Yeah. So I thought that was interesting too. Definitely. So now that you have completed this project, how do you see the film differently after writing All Right, All Right, All Right? Yeah, I mean, I think I definitely notice things on screen. I notice dynamics between people 
on screen that I didn't notice before. Um, I noticed things that were improvised um, and written into the script. Um, I notice how weird the character of Pickford seems. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I talk in the book about how Sean Andrews didn't really get along with the other actors and um, his his uh, role was kind of um, shortened and Matthew McConaughey kind of got put into a lot of the scenes that he was originally supposed to be in. And, um, you know, when I interviewed people, they told me a lot about him, that he kind of felt like he this was his big chance to be a breakout actor. And because of it, he kind of treated his role as a more dramatic role than it was originally intended to be. So now I watch some of those scenes, like, you know, when they're climbing the moon tower and he's like, you better watch your step, Junior. It's like, what movie is this guy in? (laughs) You know, it's like, it seems like he thinks he's in a drama and everybody else is in kind of a wistful comedy. You know, it's a drama too, I guess, but he seems like he thinks he's in a much more dramatic movie than everybody else. So it's things like that, you know, hearing the context behind what was happening with the actors gives me um, a different way to see a lot of those scenes. Oh, absolutely. The story that you shared about him that resonated with me the most was when he was supposed to come out and tell the beer delivery guy. I think everyone remembers this scene. Yes. Beer delivery guy, he showed up too early, and it's ruining the whole plans to have the big party at his parents' house. And so that that's a what he's supposed to do is pretty simple and straightforward in terms of carrying forward the plot. Just go out there and say, hey, man, I think you're a little early, right? And But you told the behind-the-scenes story that he would go and he would do that a different way on every take. Yes. And there's not really... That's not a good space for improv. Yes. It's just a tiny scene. <laughs> yeah. Right. It's just like, we, we, we got to get this down. Yeah. And you know, what's funny too is like, you know, Sean Andrews didn't talk to me for this book. He decided to decline, which I respect. Um, So it's hard for me to tell from his perspective what he was trying to do with that character. I'm just relying on what everybody else said. But in some ways I could see, you know, I remember kids at my high school who seemed like they were overdoing it all the time in terms of everything they said. Like it seemed kind of like more acting than just living. You know what I mean? And like maybe that's what he was going for with those guys. (laughs) (laughs) I I feel like I know people that are overdoing it with everything they do now as adults. Yes, totally. Absolutely. So maybe that's what he was going for. In some ways I watched that. I'm like, oh, is he just trying to be the like super dramatic high school dude um, who's like thinks that he's Jim Morrison? Because I knew that guy too. So maybe he was being naturalistic and I'm just not giving him enough credit. I just, I don't know. <laughs> well, on the flip side, the the improvs that really worked well, this really shifted my perspective on what it means to improvise on film because I've when I think of an improv performance I think of Christopher Guest movies yes Robin Williams where they clearly have just pointed a camera at him lowered a boom mic and just let him rip but I'm I was intrigued by what you learned about the process where he would let the characters come up with ideas, sometimes even write scenes, yeah, and then workshop it, and then they would set it up and film it. And even 
that they were still figuring out the concept for how they were going to do the conclusion yeah. on the football field. Uh, so, so what what were some of the things that really struck you about the improv process? Well, you know, I think the one thing that I maybe love most about Richard Linklater movies, uh, besides the probably the number one thing is how he handles the concept of time. Um, I love that. But maybe the number two thing is the conversations are always so fantastic. And I think sometimes people don't give him enough credit for um, how he shapes those conversations because you watch it and they're so natural. Like you look at something like, slacker or before sunrise or any of those movies or the types of conversations people have or even the conversations that they have in the car in dazed um, with marisa ribisi and adam goldberg and anthony rapp um, those conversations just are so real and so natural and so like oh i know people who have conversations like that so it kind of seems like it's all improvised even in the scenes where richard linklater wrote every single word and i've seen various drafts of this script um, some of them are pretty different from other ones. Um, some of them are kind of similar, but he really cares about, you know, word for word what he's writing down. So um, he does care about the rehearsal process. Um, a lot of people told me that uh, the two weeks that they had for rehearsal for Dazed was more than they ever got with any other movie um, and encourages people to improvise. But as you said, it's not like he's just turning on the camera and saying, go, let's see what you got. Like it's, it's really been, most of it has really been tightly scripted ahead of time. And even when people wrote their own scenes I think they took them to Linklater and you know they kind of rewrote them together and, and he made them closer to what he wanted to do I th there's a couple times in the movie where it wasn't like that where he just happened to get something in the moment that somebody brought to the scene but overall I think most of what you see in that movie was scripted nice I asked you what surprised you the most uh, when you were working on this book and as you were talking about how unique an experience this was for a lot of the actors and yeah. having that much time for rehearsal, I was thinking about what surprised me the most, and it was how much this experience meant to Ben Affleck. Yes. He really had some poignant quotes in your book. Yes. Even just the picture of that Dazed and Confused is one of only two film posters from his own movies that he has up in his house. Yes. So just thinking about how that shaped his whole career trajectory and, and what he decided to value as an actor and eventually a director is really amazing. Yeah, you know, I was really surprised by all of that, too. He was one of the final interviews that I did for this book, and I really didn't expect him. I mean, I expected that he had a good time making Dazed because other people told me that. And he, I knew that he was pretty tight with a lot of the members of the cast. But I had no idea. I mean, he called it one of the most profound creative experiences of his life. Um, and you think, you know, this is a guy who's won Oscars for other movies and still, you know, as you said, ha keeps this poster of Dazed and Confused in his house. So um, I was pretty moved by that, too. And I was also um, kind of surprised and moved by the fact that he insists that he was pretty upset that he was typecast as a bully after this, that he was only offered these roles where he was kind of a jerk. And that one of the reasons why he decided to co-write Goodwill Hunting was that he wanted to create um, a role for himself that showed that he didn't have to just play jerks all the time. That was poignant to me too. Yeah. Well, in the time that we have left, I wanted to make sure 
I gave you the opportunity to tell folks, where can we find your book? Yeah, well, you know, it's um, hopefully in most indie bookstores. My personal favorite indie bookstore is Powell's in Portland, Oregon, because that's where I live. <laughs> but, um, you know, I support indie bookstores across the country, obviously. And um, yeah, I, I think you can get it um, in the store of your choice, I'm pretty sure. If you can't, contact me on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what's your Twitter handle? It's Ms. Melissa Meritz <laughs> because there's a, this is weird, but there's another Melissa Meritz um, who is not me. She got there before me, even though it's a very not popular name. <laughs> <laughs> Ouch. That's so unfair. Yeah. <laughs> well, listen, it has been great talking to you. This has been a really fun conversation. And I just wanted to thank you again for writing this book because it, it really has deepened my appreciation for Dazed and Confused. And it was a lot of fun to read. So I definitely encourage everyone to check it out. Uh, and uh, you can follow this podcast at dazedconfused33 on Instagram. And if you have a story from your experience of seeing the movie that you'd like to share, you can email us dazedconfused33 at gmail. So thank you again for your time, Melissa. Oh, this has been fun. Thank you so much for having me on. It's, I really enjoyed this conversation and I'm excited to, to hear um, your other episodes. Oh, thanks so much. And uh, good luck with your book. I hope everybody checks it out and has as much fun as me. Thank you. The Scavengers Network. Creator-driven. Community-focused. Treasured content.